This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Well, today I am really excited to have Dr. Will Cole. He's a leading functional medicine expert who consults people around the world. He's also been named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation. He specializes in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing a functional medicine approach for thyroid issues, autoimmune issues, hormonal imbalances, digestive disorders, and brain problems. He's very well known for his best-selling book, Ketotarian and the Inflammation Spectrum, and the upcoming book, Intuitive Fasting, which I've had the pleasure of reading myself, in which he shows how to use the powerful benefits of flexible intermittent fasting to gain metabolic flexibility and find food peace. He's also hosting the new podcast, The Art of Being Well. Welcome, Dr. Cole. Such a pleasure to have you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I would love for listeners to gain a better understanding. Did you go into medicine with the intention of really focusing on the nutrition piece or was that just a natural kind of evolution of your practice? I find for myself, I was, you know, completely steeped in allopathic medicine for a long time. And then when I had a child with significant life-threatening food allergies, it really caused me to pivot significantly and to look at nutrition from a different lens, because that's not Mm -hmm. how we are taught to think about food first, but I would love to get a little bit more about your background and how, you know, you've kind of created this very powerful platform and voice for your patients. Thank you. Yeah. So for me, it was always, I was always interested in health and wellness as a, even as a young kid, I realized in in retrospect, I was a strange kid. I liked (laughs) going to the health food store. I, I was fascinated by it. I read a book probably I was maybe in seventh grade, something like that, maybe sixth grade. I read a book called Patient Heal Thyself from Jordan Rubin, and he kind of reversed his autoimmune conditions with food. And then that evolved. And my parents were interested in health and wellness too. So we're talking about the 80s and 90s in the country, in Pennsylvania, like not <laughs> not Abbott Kinney in, in Venice, not like not New York City. It was very much, my parents in many ways were ahead of their time in that way. So that was formative years for me. And then that evolved to wanting to be formally trained. So my school, Southern California University of Health Science, is more of an integrative medicine school. So it has that bent and we're trained by all different modalities, MDs and DOs and DCs and acupuncturists and oriental medicine doctors and nurse practitioners, all kind of teaching their craft. So I was intentional with being trained with that vantage point. And then I heard of a guy who had gone to my school. He was older than I was, but he was a graduate there. His name was Datis Karazian. And even today, he's one of the early leaders in in the space. And he was talking about this field of healthcare called functional medicine. So that honed in even more targeted wise to really live and breathe functional medicine. It resonated with me on a deep level. I'm just, yeah, this makes sense. And I, this is how I'm going to help people. And I graduated I went, I was in Los Angeles. I went back to Pittsburgh where I'm from. And then I'd be writing and speaking about this a long time ago, decade ago. And then there weren't a lot of people talking about this field of healthcare. So the whole telehealth thing happened just out of necessity. There'd be people in different states and countries 
talking about that needed access to this because they heard me talking about it. So we started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world. And my day job remains the same. And from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., my focus is consulting people like we're talking right now. We just drop ship labs to them and provide that guidance. But yeah, it was, it's been born out of a passion of mine. And I have a family history of autoimmune conditions. And it's interesting how things work together when you just are so focused laser focused on something you're passionate about. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there is this kind of missing piece for traditional allopathic medicine. You know, that's how I was originally trained and I wanted to do functional training. And I tell people all the time that we have to look at, you know, health and wellness from a different lens. You know, we don't wait for people to get disease. We want to be proactive about it. And from that, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously you've created several books. And so what was the impetus for creating this intermittent fasting book? I know that obviously mm-hmm. fasting is something that's near and dear to my heart, as well as many of the mm-hmm. listeners. But for you, was this something you've been practicing over the last 10 years? Or is this something that you kind of naturally came to fairly recently? Yeah. So I've fasted my, in my own life since that I was saying in seventh or eighth grade, I was a young kid that would experiment with fasting, definitely in high school more so. I learned about it younger, but I implemented it more in high school. And yes, so for the past 20 some years, I've done fasting. It's clinically, my entire clinical practice as well. So this is really nothing new uh, in functional medicine, it's nothing new. And it's nothing new really in the health and wellness world either. So if anything, it's just bringing it to the 21st century in a way that's born completely. Intuitive fasting is 100% born out of my clinical practice. I'm just seeing thousands and thousands of people over the years and how to use intermittent fasting that makes sense sustainably. And also the ethos behind it. I mean, hence its, it's name, intuitive fasting. It's this paradox on one level of how could fasting ever be intuitive it and the reality is this conversation that i'm having is i really think that wellness should come off place of, from authentic intuition not the nice sounding but an appealing uh, intuitive eating that you're in social media because you know intuitive eating or doing anything with wellness intuitively it sounds nice but what's the practical side of things because as I mentioned throughout the book, it's well, it's really nice to say it, but what if you're going through hormonal imbalances or chronic inflammatory problems, or you mentioned food reactivities or blood sugar problems where they're hangry and they're struggling with insatiable cravings? How do you, is it hangriness or is it intuition? Is it insatiable cravings or intuition? So I want people to get to a place of true knowingness, a discernment on what your body loves and hates, but let's show up for our body and our health to get there because you have to create balance in the body or metabolic flexibility, which is a specific type of balance to actually have proper signaling pathways, to have proper satiety signals, to have lower inflammation. So your body's actually working synergistically to hear that resolute, still small voice of your intuition. That's what I wanted to bring about it. But to answer your, I guess I went on a tangent there, but fasting itself was something that I've always integrated in both personally and professionally. Well, I love that you're way ahead of the curve on that as well. And and I think sometimes there's this misnomer that fasting is new and novel. And I have to remind people all the time, this dates back to biblical times. I mean, and even before that, because if our bodies weren't able to use uh, fat as a fuel source, we would not have survived. You know, there was a Mm -hmm. lot of food scarcity. There weren't refrigerators and grocery stores that people could go to or pantries that were Mm -hmm. plentiful or food that could sit out without rotting for days and years on end. So 
knowing that we're kind of getting back to, as you state, a more intuitive type of eating when we largely as a culture have gotten to a point where we eat for comfort, we eat mm-hmm. for a lot of the the wrong reasons. And so I think of fasting intuitively for myself personally, but I know for many people, they're really not familiarized with that concept. But let's let's unpack what metabolic flexibility is because we have a culture that is largely not metabolically flexible. And this is mm-hmm. really a key concept for people to understand. You know, when people kind of make fun of intermittent fasting, and I hear it all the time, people at starvation, you know, you should just be counting calories and we'll unpack the calorie thing shortly. But what is metabolic flexibility and why should we be concerned about this and ensure that we're on the right path? So we have two main forms of fueling our body. We have sugar for fuel and fat for fuel. And most people are metabolically inflexible. They're only sugar burning. They are not fat adapted. They're, they're hangry. They're, their blood sugar is all over the place. They have reactive hypoglycemia, blood, like low blood sugar or super high blood sugar or volatility of both. And they have different various forms of inflammation, chronic inflammation levels and hormone imbalance. I mean, I could go on and on. All of these are signs of metabolic inflexibility or metabolic rigidity. That is, and there's, look, there's various forms of them and varying forms of them. There are, there's the cleaner, the analogy that I use in the book is kindling. So being a sugar burner only is like kindling on the fire. You're going to get light. You're going to get some flames and energy but it's going to be short-lived. So you have to keep putting kindling on. It's going to burn out. The light's going to go out. Your energy's going to go out. So there's cleaner kindling. I mean, you're talking about whole grains and fruits and starches and legumes. Those are all from whole foods. They are cleaner kindling, but they're kindling nonetheless. They are a better alternative than the refined carbohydrates and the junk food and the processed sugar, all that stuff. But it there's still both types of kindling. And the alternative is being keto adapted or fat adapted and burning like a log on the fire. That's burning fat for fuel. But as it's, it's to, to go further with that analogy, it's more slow burning, it's more sustainable. You're gonna feel better longer. You're gonna be able to go longer without eating food because your energy's going longer. So look, but the, as its term implies, metabolic flexibility, it's the ability to burn both. There's a time and place to burn that clean kindling. <laughs> and use the benefits of, of kindling. And there's a time and place for fat for fuel. I want the option for both. And most people are stuck only in sugar burning mode. I want them to have the grace and the ability to burn both for energy. So intermittent fasting is a great way to train the body. The analogy that I use in the book is like a proverbial yoga class for your metabolism. If you're metabolically inflexible, just like if you're inflexible on a musculoskeletal standpoint, you show up to that yoga class and you're going to feel like, wow, I really suck at yoga. I can't do anything for long. It's really difficult. I didn't know bodies could move in that way. That's the same way for many people's metabolism. They show up to even slight time-restricted feeding, slight intermittent fasting, like this is unnatural. This is the antithesis of intuitive because you're training your metabolism, you're training your mitochondria, you're training your blood sugar, you're training everything to fuel your body in a different way. So just like with yoga, you have to show up for that practice and be consistent. Same way with gentle, flexible, intermittent fasting, you have to show up. But when you start putting the log in the fire and you're past that metabolic purgatory of, of like, oh my gosh, I'm in no man's land. I don't have all the sugar to depend on for the kindling and I'm not fully fat adapted you keep the rhythm of consistency, then you'll have metabolic flexibility. And metabolic flexibility 
is fertile ground for authentic intuitive eating. You actually will have proper signaling pathways. You'll have proper gut brain axis communication. You have proper brain hormonal axis. You have proper cellular receptor site signaling. So you have proper insulin sensitivity and leptin sensitivity and ghrelin and, and all of these hormones will be brought working appropriately. And that is where, one people, where I want people to get to because that will actually truly be intuitive eating and it'll truly be intuitive fasting because you'll be able to go longer without meals not because you're willing it or it's some arduous punitive starvation or like people like to judge intermittent fasting and say it, call it disordered eating. It's not that at all. It's that you can, you have a log on the fire. You're eating when you're hungry and you can go longer without eating. So it's just normal human physiology if you allow your body to get there. Well, I think we've gotten to a place in our culture where we are truly uncomfortable with the concept of being hungry. We have conditioned our bodies to be eating frequently, you know, snacks, mini meals, stoking our metabolism. I know, my gosh, that's what I was taught in graduate school and undergrad that that's what we should be telling our patients. And yet it couldn't Mm -hmm. be farther from the truth. And in so many ways, we really have done such an enormous disservice because hunger is a normal part of being a human being. And I tell my kids, if you ignore it long enough, it'll go away. Like it's cyclical. And so Mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily a negative thing to be connected to your hunger, to experience what that really feels like, because many of us don't allow our bodies to ever burn off the fuel that we've consumed. So we never connect with intuitive eating, intuitive fasting, intuitive hunger. So Mm -hmm. let's unpack one of the common misconceptions that I hear about fasting And, you know, the bro science that's out there and sorry for anyone who gets offended by that term, but across social media, people tell me all the time, well, you just need to count your calories. This isn't, you know, fasting isn't any different than that. So Mm -hmm. let's kind of unpack how fasting is very different than counting calories or that mentality that, which is, you know, counting calories is just a unit of measurement. That's, it's not something that our bodies intuitively actually Mm -hmm. acknowledge. They, our bodies actually interact with protein and fat and carbohydrates. And that's what our body knows how to interact with. It's not the calorie Mm -hmm. piece, which is this terribly common misconception that is propagated Mm by a lot of individuals out there on social media and many healthcare providers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so side note too, I do love your dog. It's so cute. Is it a golden doodle? I have two. I have a labradoodle and a golden oh, doodle. So the, the labradoodle's so behind me. He's actually being quiet, but uh, the golden doodle just got shuttled out of my room because he tends to be naughty. <laughs> I have two golden doodles. So we, are, we have dog twins. Yeah, yes, sweet dogs. they're great dogs. Very kind, kind dogs. Anyway, so it's very easy to be overly reductionist when it comes to food, you know, and reduce our body to this being a calculator. Our body is less of a calculator, more of a chemistry lab. And the foods that we eat or times of pause is the regulator of this beautiful biochemistry lab. And it shifts everything of your biochemistry lab. Food is medicine and fasting is medicine. So it's Calories are a part of the puzzle, but it's just one part of it. But when you hang your hat on that as being the end all be all as calories is king, well, that's going to be missing out on lots of other components and other contexts to human health and weight loss or weight gain or just health and feeling great and having optimal energy levels. So 
the foods we eat are actually raw materials to instruct our biochemistry, to instruct our gut microbiome, instruct our blood sugar, instruct insulin, all the rest of our endocrine system, everything. So, you know, a thousand calories of one thing versus a thousand calories of another thing, depending on its macronutrient structure is going to interplay, instruct our biochemistry in myriad of different ways, even though those calorie amounts, those units are the same. So it's part of the puzzle, but not the entire puzzle. And chronic caloric restriction, it meaning chronically lowering your calories, even it's like a slight deficit of restricting calories in some way, is the antithesis of what research is really exploring with specific types of intermittent fasting, and more specifically, the type of intermittent fasting that I explore in intuitive fasting is time-restricted feeding. Actually, studies had to be done to see, okay, if you have the same amount of calories and one group ate all day long that those amount of calories, they spread it out, and the other group ate in specific eating windows or time-restricted feeding or TRF, that what's the difference? And what researchers have shown in different journals time and time again is that you had positive markers. You had less inflammation. You had better blood sugar control. You had better insulin, cardiometabolic markers. There's, I could go on and on. There's so many health benefits to this. And there's many other types of intermittent fasting as well beyond time-restricted feeding and that also have explored that. That there might be for the deeper time-restricted feeding windows, a slight caloric deficit because if you're, have you have less time to eat, you could be eating slightly less calories. But that's not where the benefits lie, the main benefits. You may have some fringe benefits of slight caloric deficit, which has its own set of benefits, but we're not talking about severely restricting calories. We're talking about basically eating until, until satiety in a specific window. And that's really where researchers are exploring the, these benefits because it's the yin and the yang, right? It's a time to eat and a time to break from eating, but we're constantly, as we have been talking about, constantly eating, constantly snacking, eating late. And on top of that, the quality of the food is largely inflammatory and disruptive to the gut microbiome, disruptive to insulin or blood sugar, all this other stuff. So it is, yes, we have to look at food as medicine, but we also have to use, find what's a break from eating food for our body. And can we leverage and amplify the benefits of that? Because eating requires a lot of energy. Digesting requires a lot of energy. So giving our body just flexible windows of a break from eating does immense benefit uh, to restore a lot of health benefits and restore proper pathways that are lying dormant for many people. And I explore all these benefits in the book because it's completely free too. People can just lean into this and I'll, it's wondrous what the body can do if we give it the time to do so. I think it's really important. And you touched on a concept of satiety. And I think for so many people that are listening or, or have family members that really struggle in this area, they don't eat for satiety. And so they're never satisfied. And it's this endless desire for more food, more food, more food. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm working with patients and talking to them about specific macronutrients, you know, largely protein and healthy fats first, and then, you know, deciding if they're in a position to have non-starchy carbohydrates, I think that's a, a concept that a lot of people are not familiarized with, and they don't even make the association that certain types of foods, you know, some of the inflammatory foods that you've talked about, the ones that dysregulate hormones in very negative ways that drive cravings, are exactly these non-satiating foods that so many mm. people are drawn to. I know uh, it's always like the wet blanket when I'm teaching an intermittent fasting class and I talk about you know, I really would like you to have whole food sources of carbohydrates. And so when we talk about examples, you know, squash, sweet potato, et cetera, versus 
breads and pastas and my kids there, I have teenage boys, their metabolisms are like hummingbirds. And so they can't imagine that anyone out there can't just eat these things and trying to explain that, you know, we really have to shift our perspective on um, eating foods for satiety, because that is where the beauty lies. Um, I'll give an example to the listeners that my biggest meal of the day is when I typically, when I break my fast, you know, before this podcast. And for me, it was, you know, I had like essentially breakfast for lunch. It was, you know, bacon and eggs. And I had some salad and some other things and like olives and, you know, plenty of fats, plenty of protein, feel great. I am super full. There's no way I could put one more morsel Mm -hmm. of food in my body. But if I just sat down and ate pizza or ate a big bowl of pasta, I am confident that I would still be craving more food because you spite, you get this insulin response. And so Mm -hmm. let's touch on like satiety and this hormone piece so that people really are very clear on why that is so critical, why we really want to eat for satiety and, you know, align ourselves with this intuitive eating approach. Yeah. So a lot of the research that has been done on different types of intermittent fasting and more specifically time-restricted feeding actually showed you don't have to change your diet much to see benefits. So researchers had to look at that because how we need to know different types of fasting, can it stand on its own, is where does the benefit come from? And from a research standpoint, it needs to be done that way. And it should be done that way to have the variables controlled as much as possible. But from a real life standpoint, and this is my day job, and this is what you do, your day job too. I mean, we see this. I mean, it's one thing to have intermittent fasting. And yes, is it going to move the needle in a positive direction? Yeah, because you're going to give your body a break and you're going to get all the benefits that research shows. We know that. For most people, it's going to move the needle. And there's other studies to show, I should say this, and this comes up like, well, did do you see that one study that showed if you don't change your fit and just do the fasting, it's not going to change much? Yeah, I think that's the point of what I would really advocate for, that for some people, you can't fast your way out of a poor diet. And absolutely, you can get away with it. And some people are going to see benefits of it by just doing some time-restricted feeding and not changing their diet. And studies have shown that. People, I've seen that clinically too. But you can exponentially amplify the benefits of different types of intermittent fasting when you eat in a way that is congruent and symbiotic with the fast. So eating healthy fats is really amazing way to leverage the benefits of the fast, even when you're not fasting. And that's why in many ways, if you look at the different pathways and how things are you know, working in the body, a clean ketogenic diet, or even a clean low carb diet mimics in many ways fasting because of its regulating effect on blood sugar and insulin. And if you're talking about specifically the ketogenic diet, moderating protein, which modulates something called mTOR, which is a pathway that is one of some of the benefits of fasting, it elicits a very similar effect on the body as fasting. So it mimics fasting. So that's why intuitive fasting, I paired a, a flexible intermittent fasting windows with a clean keto diet or ketotarian, which is the name of my first book. But I, in many ways, intuitive fasting is a continuing of the conversation. You don't need ketotarian to read intuitive fasting, but it's they're two sides of the same coin because the more fat adapted somebody is, the more keto adapted somebody is, the more they're randomly just going to intermittent fast. And they maybe have never intermittent fasted in their life, but they start eating a clean keto diet or like a mostly plant-based clean ketogenic diet like ketotarian you'll go longer without eating food because you have that log in the fire. But on the flip side, the more somebody intermittent fasts, the more fat adapted they're going to be. But if you fuse them together, 
they're so symbiotic because they're both increasing fat adaptation. They're both improving a lot of the same pathways. They're both increasing nutritional ketosis. Beta-hydroxybutyrate is that signaling molecule that works in both a ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting that acts as researchers refer to it as a fourth macronutrient. So we have proteins, fats, carbs, and ketones. It's not just a way to burn fat, which for people that have to lose weight, it will do that. But if let's just say you don't have to lose weight, beta-hydroxybutyrate is so much more than that. It actually is a great way to preserve lean muscle mass. You'll actually hold on to muscle. You'll gain good weight if you have to, if you don't have enough good muscle, but it also is a signaling molecule, lowering inflammation and increasing mitochondrial biogenesis, improving BDNF, uh, brain-derived nootropic factor, actually making new neurons. I mean, I could go on and on. Both a ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting both do that. So like you mentioned, like when you break your fast, having things like olives or people drizzling extra virgin olive oil or having wild cut fish or having coconut cream or having avocados and avocado oil, uh, having soap nuts and seeds, all of these clean ketotarian foods are very satiating. They're very satiating, they're very, very filling, but they also don't have a negative effect on blood sugar uh, and insulin either. So they're a great stabilizing, blood sugar stabilizing macronutrient and good group of foods as well beyond the fats too. I mean, just from a phytonutrient standpoint, polyphenol standpoint, fiber standpoint, there's a lot of benefits there. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? 
If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. I think it's really important for people to understand that, you know, you may do one, you may align yourself with one nutritional philosophy at some point in your life. You know, two years ago, I had a prolonged hospitalization rah-rah to the ruptured appendix, 13 days in the hospital came out. And the only thing I tolerated was meat. So I did largely carnivore for about nine months. Mm-hmm. I'm just finally getting back to being able to enjoy eating vegetables. And I've been wearing a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor for the last two months. Boy, has that been enlightening for me. My blood sugar loves for me to be more ketogenic. I mean, I've been low carb for a long time, but when I eat large portions of meat, which is what I was kind of drawn to for a while, it's amazing to see the net impact on my blood sugar, which, you know, it's very, very humbling. It could also have something to do with the fact I've been intermittent fasting for a long time. I'm very metabolically flexible. And it's interesting to see that, you know, if you're eating lower carb or ketogenic for a period of time, when you reintroduce certain foods, you know, you're pushing yourself out of ketosis. So really very interesting. And for full transparency, I think it's important for me to share with the listeners that I'm not rigid. I acknowledge that now my body's kind of enjoying um, this ketogenic diet and doing it right. I think a lot of people, and I'm sure you could probably speak to this, think ketogenic diets mean you can eat all the butter and all the cream you want in the world. And it doesn't matter. And I just remind people, I'm like, it's not copious amounts of fats. It's you're going to eat, you know, more fats relative to protein. You're going to be very low in carbohydrates, but if you do it wrong, like I have clients who've gone overboard with nut butters and cheese, and I'm like, all those things are delicious, but, you know, keeping your portion sizes reasonable. Do you find that to be the case that sometimes people really get the portions of their ketogenic foods really off base and that can undermine their results? Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's many potential pitfalls with doing it. So I think going for whole foods as your base as much as you can, 
And these calorically dense foods, like if you're talking about, especially if you have like, if you're melting butter or melting coconut oil and having it in lots of like coffees and teas, or and if you're drinking your calories in many ways. Yeah. And there's other examples too, within the ketogenic, even if you're putting these fats that are needed, it's very easy to, especially at the beginning where you probably, where people don't have the proper satiety signaling either, their body's still adjusting. And it's many people can get into, into ketosis, this, this fourth macronutrient state without actually having copious amounts of healthy fats. It's really the carb limitation. So while technically it's a high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate diet, sometimes people have to moderate their fat down a little bit and bring their protein up a little bit. And technically speaking, you could talk about gluconeogenesis and how it could impact ketone levels. But I find that most people don't have to be super specific about that. If you want to talk about longevity and protein moderation, and there's a lot of like benefits to that. But at the beginning, you're right. It's especially with these liquid fats and lots of calorically dense fats, they're good. But until your body gets fully intuitive, sometimes people can overdo it. And if you give people a reason to be like, you can have lots of cheese and butter. And that's like all the things they were told they could never have. I understand the psychology behind it of, of getting excited. But, um, you know, and not everybody does well with a lot of those fats anyways, right? I mean, that's why ketotarian is large. It's dairy free. So it's other than ghee. Um, there's no dairy in it. And some people don't do well with lots and lots of saturated fats. So I think diversifying fats with a lot of these more plant-based or wild caught fish and grass-fed beef too. Grass-fed beef is not entirely, has lots of fats that aren't saturated fats. So let's not reduce red meat to just saturated fats either. So this keto, uh, intuitive fasting has a lot more than just ketotarian had because I wanted to open it up. So if someone wants some grass-fed beef, have some you know organic pasture-raised chicken and have that. And that can open it up to make it easier for food choices so people don't have to be entirely plant-based or mostly plant-based if they want to. Because I mean, even as a functional medicine practitioner, I use carnivore and carnivore-ish, carnivore-adjacent protocols for people who do have food reactions or aren't digesting foods properly. Uh, so there's, a, there's context and space for all of these different protocols. I know we've touched on some of the benefits of intermittent fasting, but I'd love for you to touch on some of the things related to anti-aging. You know, there's mm. a lot of, you know, technical terms that I think would be beneficial for the listeners to understand a little bit more about, you know, just from the perspective of it's beyond just, yes, you can, you know, have some fat oxidation, you can have some fat loss, you know, you're satiated, you're using ketones for fuel, but let's pivot and talk a little bit about the anti-aging benefits, because I think for a lot of people, this is the sweet spot. This is what will continue them kind of fo being focused and dedicated to the practice of mm -hmm. fasting. Yeah. So in intuitive fasting, it's a four week flexible fasting plan. So we go through these vacillating, ebbing and flowing fasting uh, windows, fasting and eating windows. So each week is different. And I highlight the benefits from the research in that specific week based around those fasts, those type of fasts, more or less. So week one, it's a 12-12. It's very easy, but I wanted a starting point, And we're pairing that with a ketotarian way of eating to work with metabolic flexibility, even when we're eating. Week two is about a 14 to 18 week, 18 hour fast. So 12 to 6 p.m., maybe what you're doing today, because it sounds like. So around there. And then week three is an almost OMAD week, which is an acronym that stands for one meal a day. That's actually what I'm doing today. 
too. So it's about a 20 to two fasting to eating window. And then week four, we open it back up. So again, we're expanding and contracting those fasting eating windows. Again, that yoga class for your metabolism. And we're playing around with macronutrients too, to either mimic fasting or not mimic fasting to have that flexibility and balance too. The kindling on the fire and the log on the fire, you will have both. So the longevity benefits I really highlight in that week three, in the renew week. And that's what I'm doing actually today of fasting. So it's an almost OMAD week. So those deeper fasts and then anything beyond on OMAD too. So I would say OMAD and beyond, which we don't expand like we're not talking about multiple day water fasts and intuitive fasting, but I would say anywhere from OMAD on to multiple day fasts, you really can get into the the longevity benefits. And there are other ways to do it as well. I mean, if you look about the ketotarian diet, the way the ketotarian is, it does mimic fasting and you can get some of the longevity benefits of that as well. But talking about more specifically the upregulation, the deeper ketosis, the increase of autophagy or cellular recycling, cellular renewal, it is our body's own anti-aging cellular renewal pathway. And we are all, you know, all our healthy cells are gobbling up all the dysfunctional cells. That is one of the longevity benefits, anti-aging benefits it's, it's to support that in these deeper fasts and also increasing stem cells or tissue regeneration. We're increasing deeper mitochondrial biogenesis, actually making new mitochondria, and we're increasing anti-inflammatory pathways too, which is really inflammation is anathema to longevity. So in lowering things like NF-kappa B and the COX-2 pathway and something called the NLRP3 inflammasome, all these pro-inflammatory cytokines that you don't want super high for longevity, they will shorten your lifespan. So that lo- lowers that and it upregulates these deeper fasting and moderate fast, increase something, these pro-antioxidant pathways, which we need for health and, and longevity, like the AMPK pathway and the NRF2 pathway. But the reason why in week three, I call it an almost OMAD versus a more traditional OMAD of 24 to one fasting to eating window. This is there's some studies to show that show that eating in such a condensed window doesn't work for everybody. It works probably for some people and that's fine. But some people with a lot of calories to get in such a short period of time that it can create, it activates and upregulates something called the PKR pathway, which increases something called metaflammation is what the researchers refer to it, which is just another way of saying systemic inflammation, which you don't want. So I want that when you, the eating window to be congruent and work with the fast. So by opening it up to an almost OMAD fast, a 20 to 22 yeah, fast, and then whatever corresponding eating window that allows for more time to eat food, but you're still getting the benefits of those deeper fasts. So I recommend in the book to break the fast with gentle food. So not having like tons of raw foods as soon as you are breaking your fast. So the break the fast meal section includes a lot of soups and stews, things that are really good for the gut because the villi of the gut is going to be slightly blunted. Cortisol is going to be slightly elevated coming out of your fast. That's a good thing. That's a hormetic effect, that good stress, just like working out raises cortisol too. So again, that yoga class, it's a good thing to be there, but you want to meet your body where it's at then and have something gentle, almost like pre-digested with like lots of cooked soups and stews, or at least something cooked and soft uh, to lean and transition your body out of the fast into that eating window. Then after about an hour or so, an hour and a half, after that break the fast meal, you can have your regular meal. So that's what I want people to do every other day. So there's a non-consecutive almost OMAD fast. So you go to almost OMAD, then you have a normal 12-12 
eating within 12 hour period and then almost OMAD 12, 12. So it's those deeper fasts that I'm really exploring the longevity benefits and the anti-aging benefits. It's really exciting, but people need to be consistent with it. So I want people to cycle through these as much as they can, like once a month, take a week and do those almost OMAD weeks. That's a great way to uh, support these longevity benefits. I think it's really important. I remind my own, you know, patients and clients all the time that, you know, much like we don't eat the same foods every day, we don't do the same exercise every single day. It's really important to get some variety. We know we're flexing those fasting muscles, mm-hmm. if you will. And I love that you kind of touched on the fact that, you know, bioindividuality rules that, you know, for so many of us, I don't do well with trying to eat all of my day's macros in an hour. I mean, I end up feeling like miserably stuffed. So I love that there are some flexibility surrounding, you know, how you define that. And I love on social media when I see these, you know, huge like weightlifters that are doing OMAD and they'll eat like 3000 calories in a sitting and I'm looking at their meals going, how is that possible? Obviously, they're probably two or three times my size and they can, you know, they're obviously men, very, very different. But I do find that women can sometimes struggle a bit in terms of trying to consume, you know, all their day's macros in one sitting. Yeah, I agree with that. So opening up a bit, you still can leverage the benefits then. You know, it's not all or nothing. I think you can get these amazing benefits without feeling like you have to do it this one way because really the best way for these principles are is the way that's con- you is sustainable for you. So what's it going to be if it's a miserable source of dread or it's unsustainable? That's not going to serve you in, in the long run. So let's find a way that's sustainable where you can leverage these benefits without doing too much too soon in a way that doesn't work for your body. Do you see a lot of gender differences between your male and female patients in terms of how you kind of tackle the concept of intermittent fasting? Are you someone that encourages women to change their fasting habits around their menstrual cycle or women that are in menopause? This is a big conversation in the book, as you know, it's just because we get that question a lot. I mean, we in the health world, anybody that talks about fasting is like, I heard that fasting isn't good for women. And, you know, it's, (laughs) it's very going back to that reductionist concept. I mean, it's not all women are the same. I know that's like earth shattering news to some people, but it's to produce women is like, this is good for women or this is bad for women. And that make these blanket statements. Well, who are we talking about? Who is she? Is she struggling with PCOS? Is she struggling with that's polycystic ovarian syndrome? Is she struggling with metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, weight loss resistance, inflammation, neurological issues? She's going to respond to deeper fasts, a moderate intermittent fast, completely different than somebody with that's thinner, lean, that maybe has sluggish thyroid. Maybe she's going through a chronic stress time of season of her life. Maybe she's not sleeping well. But all women, but are going to produce a completely different outcome. And then, of course, is, it, is she cycling or not cycling too? That plays a part of it as well. Absolutely. Women tend to have higher levels of kisspeptin, which is a signaling molecule that makes most women, not all women, more sensitive to times of fasting and the ketogenic diet, which is mimicking fasting. So the way you it doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say, well, it's, you don't, fasting is bad for women. No, it's how are you using it? It's just like working out. Are you doing the wrong workout for your body? If you've never worked out a day in your life, you show up to the gym and do tons of workout and you feel horrible. It doesn't mean workouts bad. And you can't say, well, gym's not for me, but that's what people say. The fasting or fasting's not for me. 
how did you do it? And both fasting and workout, if we're going with that analogy, they're both hormetic effects. They're both types of hormesis, good stress. A lot of the same pathways there. So let's not be all or nothing about something, but context matters here as with lots of different things in life. So I think it's a matter of how you're doing it and meet your body where it's at. That's where the, the magic happens. It's not saying all or nothing and being super tribal about it. But women do better, especially if they're cycling, if they have a menstrual cycle, to be lighter around their period, like you mentioned, or around ovulation. They're not really fasting that day. Or they're doing a 12-12, which is very easy. It's basically eating your calories between 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I mean, basically have all day or 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. You're fasting through the night when you're sleeping until you break the fast at breakfast. So I find that a lot of women do better with that. But the, still the rest of the month, they're leveraging the amazing benefits of fasting on the other days. So they're just being strategic or they'll do it around a heavy workout or they'll do it whenever they want to. They'll do it weekly. They'll do like three to five days in, in deeper fasts, moderate fasts, and then the other days they're loosening up. That's that grace and the lightness and the flexibility. That's the intuition that I want people to find for themselves because and let me just say this, what works for you today in this season of your life isn't necessarily what you're going to be have to do forever and ever, depending on all the other variables that are so, there's so many variables externally, what you're going through stress-wise or preference or your work schedule, it's so many things. So let there be an art to this and don't be so strict on one thing for or against. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armour Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armour's Colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armour's colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. At some point, we've all been sold a big, fat lie. 
It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believe that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Oh, you're so incredibly aligned with my whole kind of mindset and philosophy about fasting. It's delightful as opposed to being really rigid. I think there's so mm-hmm. much rigidity And a lot of the women that will crash and burn that end up on my doorstep and are, you know, desperate to do fasting, it's because they're so rigid, you know, they'll say to themselves, Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to fast 18 hours today. And, you know, I'm going to fast for those 18 hours, whether or not it kills me, I'm dizzy, I'm weak, I feel miserable. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to force an outcome is never beneficial for our bodies. So I'm curious, you know, at this point in time, where is your, and these are some of the questions I got on social media. I know that your background is, you know, plant-based, you know, keto, or is that more aligned with where you are right now? Or are you just like what you advocate for your patients? Are you flexible with yourself, depending on what your body is kind of drawn to? Mm -hmm. There's two different levels to there's, I mean, ketotarian was my personal journey, really. And then clinically for my patients, it's whatever makes the most sense clinically. I have no agenda other than getting them healthy. I don't have any dogma when it comes to this. So it's like, what clinically gets them better? What's their preference? Like, what do they enjoy? Because you know this, but if you have the same food protocol, same similar labs, but the one person loves what they're doing, the other person hates what they're doing, it's going to produce a completely different outcome. There's stress around food produce completely different outcomes. So it's about clinically what's relevant. And then it's understanding where they're at headspace wise, what they're up for, and then what's their personal preference for these things. Cause that's the science and the art of what we do. So I don't like clinically I have patients doing all different types of things based on all those factors. So that's how I feel as a functional medicine practitioner with my patients. Personally, I prefer being more plant-based most, but like the cover of the book says mostly plant-based. It's not entirely plant-based. I mean, I have grass-fed beef, I have wild-caught fish, I have lots of plant-based and non-plant-based foods, but still my center, I prefer like fresh avocado with like avocado fries over like a piece of bacon. I just, that's just like my preference, but there's a place for grass-fed bacon too. I mean, if you want to go there, but there's a flexibility there and some days are different than others too. And I want people to have that same 
rhythm with their body where they don't feel so tribal. They, they can't even hear that voice of their intuition because their ego's in the way or because their shame's in the way or because their obsession's in the way. I mean, all these things that can distract ourselves from what our body actually needs at this time. Do you use any biohacking tools in your practice, like a continuous glucose monitor or Lumen? I mean, there's so many of these devices that are out there that I have been tinkering with myself, but I mm-hmm. find really, I guess on many levels, it's very reaffirming because in many ways it's showing to me that for my N of one, you know, me as an individual mm-hmm. has been, you know, very validating. And for many clients, they like having the data. Is that part of what you do with your clients or, or are you solely focused on just the intuition piece of really, mm-hmm. you know, validating how they feel in terms of what they're doing with physical activity and lifestyle and nutrition and other parameters? Depends on how it depends on the person and depends on the case. So back to that science and the art side of things. So sometimes it makes sense clinically to be specific on tracking macros or tracking sleep tracking, like an aura ring or something like this, or the lumen or using these amazing technologies or even testing ketones, for example, like testing a ketone strip or getting a breath meter. Sometimes that's needed. Sometimes it's not, but it's not only what's clinically relevant. Sometimes it's like, is this going to stress this person out more than they're like stressing about not stressing (laughs) or they're like stressing about not sleeping and this stress of brown sleep is keeping up up at night. So the science is great and we need to use it, but we need to use it to our benefit. So if the science is is messing up the art, you have to pull back on the science and, and say, okay, this isn't serving you. This is like the opposite of what we want out of this. So let's just keep it simple. We'll give you some general guidelines because it's, it's sometimes you have all this amazing information like we in healthcare and, you know, these conversations and labs and technology, and we have amazing information, but it's too big for the vessel to contain it. Meaning it's just too much for this person where they're at space wise. So you have to meet them where they're at and say, okay, let's drip these things in where they're at to better their life, to enhance their quality of life, where they enjoy these things and not stress about it because stressing about it, you can't stress your way into health. It's not going to work. So that's really my thought on it. But if patients are that type of personality where they really love the biohacking stuff, it encourages them and they could see their own end of one experiment over the course of the weeks. You know, obviously we're running bigger labs every couple months, but like the small day-to-day, is this working for me beyond how I'm feeling subjectively? It works for some people. So I feel like like, there's just different types of people and they can use these in a way that serves them. We've used continuous glucose monitor CGMs. We've used Oura Ring data for many patients. We still do for all these, for certain people. And Lumen, I haven't tried it yet. They sent me one recently. I haven't, they sent to me actually last week, but I haven't tried it yet. But have you used Lumen? I have. And I guess the reason why I'm asking, and I've been open about this with listeners, you know, in September, my thyroid medication was pulled off the market. And so there were thousands and thousands of patients out there, myself included, Mm -hmm. that, you know, were kind of left in abyss. And my functional medicine doc put me on compounded T4, T3, which made me hyperthyroid. And then I got put on armor thyroid, which didn't agree with me. And so now I'm on my third variation. And the one I think is working, but all the way along, I was trending my Lumen data and my CGM. And that really was very helpful 
in the context of a conversations that I was having with my functional medicine group saying, listen, I'm normally mm-hmm. fat burning. I'm not burning fat at all. Like here's all this data. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're becoming a little bit insulin resistant, like all the things that should not be happening. And this all was because of a medication switched in September. Yeah. It's taken four it's- months to get back to where I was. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I was, you know, kind of even mentioning it, first of all, people ask questions. They were curious if you use those devices. But yeah. particularly relevant to Lumen, for me, it's completely aligned with my CGM data, my fasting schedule, my stress management. And so I'm actually interviewing the co-inventor of Lumen this week. And, you know, I'm kind of excited to talk to him about, you know, what I, my N of one, which has really been surprising. I kind of went into it with skepticism, which is my normal kind of mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, show me the data, maybe look at it. Let me see if I can really get, this is really useful for someone like myself that's already metabolically flexible. And so my N of one experience has been pretty phenomenal because it it allowed my functional medicine group to take what I was saying pretty seriously. I was like, I know this sounds crazy, but... (laughs) Yeah. Well, tell them, thank you for presenting me the kit. I haven't tried it yet, but I'll try it soon. Oh, good. So what's next? You've got this book, you've got a new podcast. What else is new for you that's going on? I know we're, we're still in pandemic. Hopefully we'll, mm-hmm. so at some point in 2021, that will shift and change. What else mm-hmm. are you going to be doing? You know, for me, it's just my focus calling is really my patience. So I really enjoy I'm glad. I'm so thankful. We were always done telehealth. So for us, it was like a, there was no transition for COVID. It was this complete, sometimes people would drive in or fly in for their first consult because they wanted that, you know, face-to-face in-person experience. That's the only thing that's changed. That was just an option for some people. And now it's like, we're not doing that, but I want more. I'm excited for the year to, to really focus on that and um, having conversations about intuitive fasting. The podcast is really exciting. Um, having conversations through a functional medicine lens on different health and wellness topics. That's the art of being well. And that's really basically it. I mean, I have two kids. I have a 14 and 11 year old. I have a to the two golden noodles I told you about, lovely wife. So I don't know. Just I just I want this year to be more normal, like just better than 2020 for many people. I mean, not so much for me. I know I live in my weird little bubble where I just to talk to people online and I live a pretty simple life in the middle of nowhere. But a lot of people's lives are turned upside down. So my hope for everybody is just it goes a little bit more normal, but maybe a better normal. Because I think that these silver linings that many people have learned over the past year, over last year, hopefully we can keep that in a better, stronger way of appreciating things and not taking things for granted and slowing down and being more efficient with many things too. So that's, I mean, same stuff for me and not much is going to change this next year. Hopefully it's just going to more what I love to do, but that's it. Yeah. Well, great. So let the listeners know how they can connect with you, how they can purchase your book. What is the best way on social media or your website? We have a pretty active Instagram channel. I've been following you there. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, everything's at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E. But yeah, on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And they can get there's tons of free resources on drwillcole.com. I write articles all the time. And you can order the book, Intuitive Fasting, all the other books too. And we offer a free webcam or phone health evaluation if people want to get a functional medicine perspective on their case and see if a consult with me is right for them. That's everything's at drwillcole.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's really been a pleasure connecting with you and I look forward to continuing to follow what you're doing. Yes. Likewise. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.